My name is Keith Case. I'm a pastor here at Providencia. And probably about four and a half years ago, maybe it was five years ago, I met up with this uh, young Scotsman at this bar that's no longer here called Bar Louie. And we had this conversation about this church we were going to be planting uh, here in West Palm Beach. And he said, let's do it. I'm in. So he was the first signer of the Constitution of Providencia. And uh, since then, it's been all rock and roll. Uh, we found soon into our relationship that we had, is it the microphone that's making it squeal like Shamu right now? Is it where I'm standing, Blake? Do I need to step back? It's me like a bat signal or signs. Um, we found soon into our relationship that we had an affinity for Zara. Uh, we probably both are wearing all Zara clothes right now, except for our new Nike dry fit pants that Travis introduced us to. Um, but we do share that passion. We also share a passion for scooters. You may have seen us late at night. We may have honked at you late at night thinking you were a total stranger when in fact we knew you. Um, but we have done many journeys together. We've laughed a lot, and uh, Jordan has become a friend and a brother. Tonight, we're talking about home. We're continuing this series on reimagining home. And one thing you guys may know about my family is we've lived in South Florida now for quite some time, essentially since 2006. We've been in the area, and the rest of my family lives in Tennessee. And at times, at times, at times, I have, uh, here we go, at times I have tried to kind of create family for my kids. You know, I'll say, oh, this is, uh, you know, your aunt, so-and-so, or whoever. And um, trying to give my kids some semblance of family uh, from far away. But our little daughter, Lily, on her own, calls Jordan uncle. And that's not something we told her to do. That's just because of his presence in her life. And she knows that she's loved by Jordan. So that's how I want to introduce my friend Jordan to you guys tonight, who is like family to my family. Jordan Smith, put your hands together for our special. Thanks, bro. I've gone a bit skew-whiff here. Give me a second. So I have the dubious honor of... I want to get a tan while I preach here right now. These lights are kind of aggressive. So I had the dubious honor of wrapping up our home series. So we had Drew Melton, we had Brittany Melton, then we had the tour de force that is Sarah Claire um, preaching her first ever sermon um, last week. And I'm like, man, I should have put some kind of duds before me before agreeing to speak there. I kind of feel like, you know when you go to a wedding and the food is awesome, but before you eat, there's like the random people that walk around with the trays you're like, maybe it's a shrimp wrapped in bacon. Maybe it's some pate. I don't know, but I'll try. This is kind of what I want to do tonight. I'll be that guy with the tray, and maybe there'll be like one little thing you take away, and you're like, that was kind of good. So this is what I hope to give to you this evening. Reimagine home. This is Thanksgiving week. The holidays are upon us, and I don't know what emotion that invokes in you. Perhaps it's anxiety. Perhaps it's excitement. Perhaps it's sadness. Perhaps it's anger at the cultural connotations with Columbus and the pilgrims. The holidays can be some of the most evocative times for us all. There can be a sense of loss. We're present at the table, filled with people, but nobody 
sees us. Perhaps we might have no table to go to and we carry the scars of disconnection. Over the past month, we've talked about what does it mean to be rooted and what does it mean to find a sense of home. And through the passage we're going to look at this evening, we're going to ask ourselves three questions or look at three points and hopefully they'll take us to a place where we can feel rooted here now. The first point we're going to look at is the road traveled. The second point we're going to explore is the stories we carry. And the third point we're going to land the plane on is the country that is promised. But before we get started on those points, I just want to set briefly the kind of context that this story occurs in. What is the theological framework for the passage we're about to read? And home for the people of Israel would have been a tricky concept. They were by definition a displaced people. They came from all corners of the earth. They were in a land that wasn't their own and that like strangers they had to come together to find home in a land that was surrounded by strong foreign powers. The first years of Jesus' life were spent spent as a refugee in Egypt. I remember in my first year of my undergrad um, in Scotland, we had a guy who was a mature student, and um, his name was Justin Kawasoka, uh, and he, was a Cong- he fought as a child soldier uh, in the Congolese Civil War uh, in the 90s, um, and he came as a refugee to Scotland, and he was in one of my classes. And the professor asked the question, what part of Jesus' life do you connect with the most? And I was kind of sitting in the back of the class like, well, um, Anyone who knows me, like any time I'm doing a building project, I'll call Keith because I know I'll like screw it up. I have, I just put up three pictures in my wall and they're all kind of like, all kind of like this. So I can't do anything with my hands. Don't connect on that level. The only one I could think of was, I'm a guy. He's a guy. Other than that, it's a strikeout. But Justin Kawasoka, he stuck up his hand and said, Jesus was a refugee. And I was like, Jesus wasn't a refugee. Like what gospel are you reading? Like that didn't happen. Then his first years after his birth, he fled to Egypt. Jesus, his own life, embodied displacement. It embodied leaving his home. And scripture tells us the Son of Man did not have a place to rest his head. Throughout the history of Israel, foreigners played key roles. We think of the story of Ruth. We think of the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, who bankrolled the building of the temple. Early Christians, they were put at direct odds with the empire and with Rome. They were pushed to the outskirts of society. And being a member of God's kingdom meant it was a different experience for them in their home. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, we belong to two different places. We belong here or wherever home might be and to the kingdom of God. And on that journey and on that process, we can feel conflicted. We can feel stuck between two different places where we're called to orientate ourselves on God and his story. And in that process, we will understand our home of origin more and how we can bring the gospel and the kingdom of life into that place. Moreover, this all happens in the context of God's upside-down economy. When we look at history, it was the strong, it was the powerful, it was the mighty that dictated the terms of history. They were the one that won wars. They were the ones that conquered nations and built empires. But Jesus' kingdom subverts that. It's where the broken are called to build, It's where the weak lead, and it's where the vulnerable inspire. Whereas we might hear today that the broken can't be trusted, the weak are eaten up, and the vulnerable 
are too much to handle. God's narrative and God's place of home subverts all those lies. With the political narrative today, we have to call out the lies and we have to offer a space of welcome, of hope and of love. We have to promise provision. We have to offer sacrifice when the narrative is of scarcity. We have to say that you are welcome. There is a place at the table for you and that you will be provided for. That is the story of Israel. That is the story of early Christianity. And that is the story of Providencia, West Palm Beach. That is what we offer to the city of West Palm Beach. Our reading today is going to come from the book of Hebrews. And it's going to start in chapter 11, in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to that place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with whom foundations and whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they were looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of their country, they would have left. They would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it was through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. This sends the reading of the God. As we said, the history of Abraham, who would then become the people of Israel, is a story of a displaced people. Abraham was from a far off land and he was called to leave all that he had and to follow God. He was long in his years, he had no possessions and God promised him an outrageous promise. He said, you Abraham and your wife Sarah were beyond childbearing age. You are the people that I, the God of all, choose that through you, there will be as many descendants, as it says in the passage here, as the stars in the sky and as the sand grains on the beach. A number that you can't quantify. What an outrageous promise that must have been for him. And historically, that, placement, that displacement for the people of Israel has proven to be true. We think of the persecution in Europe throughout the centuries. We think of the persecution of the Jews in this country. The phrase that sticks out to me is, Abraham was good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars. As good as dead. In that culture and in that context, there was no social security network. If you were old and you didn't have kids, you had nobody to look after you. Your kids were your safety blanket. 
They were your inheritance, and they were the people that were to take your name and your legacy into the world. If Sarah and Abraham didn't have children, the story of Sarah and Abraham would have stopped there and then. But God had other plans. And also in that culture, it was a sign of God's favor. And it was a sign that you'll be taken care of in your old age. The childless couple would have been seen as outcast and cursed by God. But through them, God promises three key things. He promises descendants, he promises land, and ultimately he promises a child of promise. In the descendants, the childless couple were too old to have kids, but yet they are the ones that God calls to use them as the people that they would bring all the descendants of Israel through the earth. They were broken, they were cursed, and they were exposed. But yet God was not ashamed, and he chose them. They would go into all the nations. And Israel was never meant to be confined to one specific geographical area. The Spirit of God, as it says in Joel, as it says in Acts, was to go out amongst all the nations. We think of rootedness, we think of place, we think of the temple. But God is all around us, and we are called to take him into all the earth. Secondly, the point that's promised is the land. They were too old, they had no army, they had no force, they couldn't have taken the land unless it was given to them by God. And in their sparsity and in the lack of what they could provide, they were called to be a people of hospitality. They were called to provide for strangers. They were called to provide for foreigners. The little that they had in their land, they were called to hold lightly and to give away to those who sought and those who asked. It was to be a place of hospitality for the lost, for the broken, for the stranger, and for the alien. And ultimately, God would promise them a child of promise, the Messiah who would be Jesus, one who would come to rescue, one who would come to redeem, and one who would come to reconcile all that is lost and all that is broken. When we talk about these stories, we feel the disconnect of the here and the not yet. We understand the historical stories of Israel and we understand the displacement, but it feels disconnected from our own. Some of us in the room um, have been on a journey of kind of exploring racial conversations in this country. Um, there's the REI workshop, and on the back of that, the OER, the Organized Against Racism workshop. And those stories of people of color in our city make me realize that we may, lay, we may live in the same city, but we operate in different worlds. It's just not the same. I don't have to think about my skin color when I drive to work. I don't have to think about my skin color if I see a police officer in the back. And I have access to things that people of color just don't have access to, whether that be systemic denial of grants, systemic denial of access to education, or redlining. All these things make us aware that your story has a direct impact on how you interpret the world around you. We carry the stories that we inherit. We carry the shames of our ancestors. We carry the shame of all that we embody as people. But in order to understand where we are going, where we are moving forward to, we have to acknowledge the road that we have traveled. For Jesus to make sense, you have to understand the road that the people of Israel traveled. For us to make sense, we have to understand what is the road that we have traveled to get into this pew here today. Our Judeo-Christian story is one that looks back, but also looks forward to the horizon of a kingdom to come. And we are caught in the in-between where we see glimpses of God's kingdom, 
but can still feel so deeply the brokenness of a fallen world. We are caught in the here, but not yet. We are caught in the in-between. The faith of our ancestors and the heroes and the heroines of the Jewish faith were what gave them inspiration, were what gave them purpose, what guided them to what is your function on the earth today. They were the stories that gave them purpose and helped them in a time of need. But yet now we were caught. The horizon is visible. We can look back, but in this in-between time, we feel displaced. We feel movable, and we feel that it's difficult to just ground ourselves and be present in the here and now. Israel could focus on a temple, but we don't have a direct place to focus on. It's the church. It's the people. It's nebulous. It's fuzzy, which all adds to the growing thought of it's difficult to find our focus on place and on home. And all roads lead to the person that explores all those places. It's me, it's you. How we feel within ourselves is how we feel connected to whatever environment we are in. We are called to reclaim all of the world as God's, as it's now holy. As you think when the Spirit left the temple after Jesus' crucifixion, that the Spirit came into all the world. The church has often retreated into its own buildings, but we are called to go out and reclaim what is holy in all the earth. The earliest Christians were called followers of the way. I love that term because it says that we're not entirely sure what our direction is, but we're on the path together. And I think that this is what this community provides, is that we are walking in the same direction along with each other. That's what's bind us, is that we are willing to walk along the road together. We're looking forward. We're not too sure or uncertain of what tomorrow may bring, but we know we have people on the road beside us. And we know that we have God orchestrating what horizon we're looking towards. And the invitation we offer as a community is that you can join that journey as well today. To be informed from where you came from, to have people walking with you to where you are going, and to have a, excuse me, to have a horizon fixed to where we will end up. Our second point today, what are the stories that we have carried. And the phrase from the scripture is, he made his home like a stranger in a foreign country. This, place, this theme of displacement continues throughout, throughout scripture. The Jewish people were spread amongst all the nations, surrounded by powerful neighbors. They were exiled in Egypt. They wandered in the desert. They were exiled in Babylon. They made home in Israel, and the Romans made home in Israel. Yet they had their place, not by might, not by sword, but by faith and by God's provision. The huge empires came and went, one after another, but yet little Israel remained. The remnant of faith prevailed. Jesus was an itinerant. He traveled all around, and when he went to his hometown, he had a frosty reception. His disciples left their homes and traveled to spread the good news all across the known world at that time. And there's the, the stories of Thomas ending up in India and all the other disciples ending up all over the known world at that time. They had their place and they chose to leave it, to follow God, follow Jesus. But they found their rootedness. They found their home in the path and being on 
the road. His disciples, they left their homes and traveled to spread the good news all over the world. And leaving home has been part of my journey, as um, Keith alluded to. Um, and being Scottish in and of itself is kind of like a weird deal, that Scots have a perennial chip on their shoulder about the English. The, the narrative is that, you know, we're not really allowed to be a real people. We don't have our own government. England decides, although we do, that there's just pent-up anger in the national psyche is that big brother keeps us down. And so there's this pessimism, there's this identity, this cultural identity that always looks back and says, we're important because of our history. And that gives us motivation to still be angry at the English. It gives us motivation to want to try and reclaim those days of old. But it struggles to look forward. It struggles to look forward with positivity. There's just cynicism across the board. There's a joke in Scotland how we say, or in America we say, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? In Scotland they say, doesn't matter, the water sucks anyway, don't bother drinking it. That's kind of like the cultural psyche um, that, we, that we live in. Um, and for me, and also coming to America, there's been like so many ironies in my life. Like I didn't play golf in Scotland, um, I wasn't a Presbyterian in Scotland, but now I've moved to America, I have embodied all these things. But the cultural identity is, it's a chip on our shoulder. We're important because of our history, but tomorrow's uncertain, so let's not really talk about that. And my journey that I had to move thousands of miles away from home, and in that process, I've, I've found more home here than I've ever felt in Scotland. And that comes with losses, and that comes with gains. And here, people are like, you don't really sound that Scottish, like, where's your accent? And in my mind, I'm like, wow, like, I go into this total existential crisis of, like, that, that just doesn't work. And obviously, I miss family, I miss friends, and we're all transformed, and we're all molded by our family triumphs and our family tragedies. My family triumphs are, there's new life. I have nieces, and they're wonderful. My family have taught me service. My parents both work in altruistic fields, and they provided for me. But there's family tragedies as well. There's addiction, there's disconnection, and there's the belief that if we ignore and suppress emotions, that will keep the peace, which is just nonsense, because everyone just sits there with all these things going on. All our families have triumphs and tragedies. We all carry these stories. They shape us, they mold us, and they make us the men and women who we are today. But yet, so does the story of God. The story of God gives us an alternative narrative that we need to reshape ourselves towards. And that's a narrative of truth. That's a narrative of love. That's a narrative of welcome. And it's a narrative of wholeness. And it should help give us a compass when we don't know where to go. In our sense of loss of place and in our disconnection, we can find center and we can find other wanderers along the journey who are striving to find the same thing that we are looking for. Home, it provides a sense of home, and it offers a reorientation to a new way of belonging. Before I was 22, I had lived in four countries in three continents. I'd lived in Scotland, I'd lived in France, I'd lived in Kenya, and I'd lived here in the US. I was confident, but I was hiding in plain sight. I was outgoing and ambitious, 
But in really, when I was serious with myself, I just believed that nobody really liked me. I didn't want to commit to anything as I was scared that I might miss something better or that it would just end quickly anyway. I felt like a stranger and a foreigner in Scotland. I felt like a stranger and a foreigner in France. I felt like a stranger and a foreigner in Kenya. And I felt like a stranger and a foreigner here. The missing piece for me was understanding the story that I carried into all those places and how it had shaped me. I had to acknowledge it. I had to understand it. I had to open it and read the painful pages to orientate myself to what is true about me and what are the forces that have shaped me to make me the man I am today. And the new narrative of God's story is that I am loved, that you are loved, that I am important, that you are important, that I belong, that you belong, that I can make a difference, and that you can too. I was broken, but I was called to build. I was weak, but I was called to lead. And it was the vulnerable that helped me to do so. It was the tears of my friends. It was the songs of this community. And it was a place to belong. Whatever story you walked into the doors carrying today, there is a place at the table for you. You will make us better. You will make us more present. You will make us more aware of our own stories when you share yours. You will inspire us with your courage and you will make us more honest when we see you. Our fathers and mothers of faith were weak, were broken, were vulnerable, but they became heroes and heroines of faith when they took a step of faith in their courage and through God's strength. The longer we are on the path, the more they're aware of the stories that we carry. But the more opportunities we get to write new chapters, the more we are aware of our own story, the more we get to move sections of our story from true into the fiction section. We get more aware of what are the lies that we have carried. What are the stories that have shaped us away from where we need to be? We can write new chapters and we can resign old lies into the library of fiction. The catalytic moment for me in this journey was a journey of sobriety. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to face and it's the hardest thing I've ever had to walk through. But it's been the biggest reward in the most unexpected ways. Friendships that fill my soul like none other does. And it's given me a sense of self and a sense of purpose that I can never have imagined. And it allowed me to leave a cloak of shame behind. And candidly, it made me believe that God is real and that the things I heard other people talk about can happen to me too. There was a few examples. I was, there's so many crazy stories in that whole journey. I was trying to think of like, what are the, the craziest ones? And one was, um, so Sarah Claire, who spoke last week, she works in the, or had worked in the addiction world. So I called her up kind of just saying like, I'm really in it right now. Um, and I don't know where to turn to. And she had a friend who is an addictions therapist um, a, a man by the name of Blades. Um, so this would have been three years ago. Um, so she gave me his number and I called him. Um, and after that conversation, I was like, all right, I can do this, but I need to go to 
um, see some friends who could help me along the way, who you could find at the front of the yellow pages. And so I was talking to this guy, um, and I was like, this was the conversation that really encouraged me to take that step. And he was English, um, so we were healing those cultural divides as well. Um, So we spoke on the phone for probably an hour and a half, one time. And then, as some of you might know, I am a pastor here in the morning show um, at Memorial Presbyterian Church. And I had worked as an intern here, and one of the other pastors was on sabbatical. And after the internship, they offered me a job. And I was like, awesome. And so to celebrate this job, um, I jumped on my trusty scooter. Um, This was Abigail before I had um, Veronica. And we went down A1A. And I I had no intention or no idea of where I wanted to go. Um, So I ended up turning in in Delray. I still don't remember the name of the restaurant. Um, But I was there just celebrating, enjoying the sunset, having a good time, tucking into my food. Um, And over the bar, I heard an English accent. So I kind of make some small talk with this guy. And I was like, oh, sir, are you, are you a tourist? Do you live here? And he's like, no, no, I live here. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, what's your name? And he said, my name's Blades, and um, I'm a therapist. And I just, like, started crying into my chicken wings. I just could not believe the orchestration of that moment, that I felt it was a little divine wink to say that, Jordan, you're on the right path. You're on the right trajectory. I had to face that painful story, and that was the catalytic moment in my life where things started to move in the right direction, where I felt 40 pounds lighter, where I felt I could look myself in the face in the mirror, and I felt I could really live in to my true self. And it gives us an opportunity to rewrite those stories for the future. If I have kids, they will never see me drink. If I have a wife, she will never see me drunk. We get to recreate and rewrite the stories that have misshaped us and misshaped our families. If we carry a story of addiction, we get to write chapters about sobriety. If we carry a story of disconnection, we get to write chapters about community. If we carry a story of you don't matter, you get to write a chapter where you play the leading role. Our stories don't define us, but we are responsible for what we do with them. This is a place where we can help each other carry the burden and can dream together about what those new chapters look like. In that upside down economy where the weak lead, the vulnerable inspire, and the broken are called to build. Jesus came into our world so that God would be proximate to us all. Jesus was dead and buried but rose again so that he could breathe new life into whatever situation you carry, and you hold the pen. And we as a community, and God's spirit, and God's power can help you rewrite those new chapters. Community and the grace of God offers us eyes to see what we could not see before in order to move forward and write those new chapters. We need to understand where we have been, what is the road we have traveled. We need to face and understand and read the painful pages of the stories we carry in order to know where to go next. And we need to focus on the country that is promised. This says of Abraham's that he longed for better. Um, as an immigrant living in America, some friends in Scotland asked me what that's like in this climate, whatever this climate is, and I say, you know, it's kind of like falling madly in love with someone who's bipolar. That you have these things that are awesome and incredible, but equally you have these things that are awful. There's abundance, 
but there's poverty. There's power, but there's abuse. There's the political shenanigans that's going on just now. But yet we as Christians are called to bring bearers of light of God's kingdom right here, right now. Wherever we've come from in the world, whatever the story you carry, Jesus calls us to make a difference here and now. He calls us to participate in the upside down economy and he calls us to bring healing to those that are afflicted and those that are in need. And he calls us to send invites out to all. We can't show any favoritism. We have to offer what we have all experienced to anyone who is willing to come through the door. And we focus on a time where we know that every tear will be wiped away, her wars will end, her love will win, and where we'll all be reunited. And where we look towards the world operating in the, in the way it should have been. But that's what is promised. But yet we're still caught in between. This community aims to build the kingdom of God here in West Pam, where the weak lead, the vulnerable inspire, and the broken build. Here now on earth as it is in heaven. And we have an opportunity today to start writing a new chapter, to turn a fresh blank praise. There's a new start, there's hope, and there's the truth that God's love is real, that Jesus brings healing, and he can breathe new life into whatever situation you are carrying into this room today. Community may have hurt you in the past, and it will hurt you again. It may even be from some of us, but we're here to say stick around just a little and see what happens and see what we can help you unpack and see what we can help you discover about your story and what God's story has to say to that. In doing so, you'll make us more aware of our own stories. You will inspire us with your courage and you will bring your gifts to the table. You will make the room different and you will change us. But in order to do that, we'd understand the road that we have traveled. We'd understand what stories have we carried and how they have shaped us. And we need to long for a country that is promised. And we need to know where we are leading people to. And that is to a place of hope, to a place of love, and to a place of community. Let us pray as we head into that time of communion.